Morning, everyone. For those of you who are new here, I'm Chris Dirks, one of the associate pastors. And uh, last week, I started a three-week series on uh, parenting. Last week, parenting. This week, parenting. And next week, uh, parenting. We're calling it Raising Godly Offspring. And, um, and so last week, we looked at the priority of the family. This week, I want to talk about the traits, the traits of an effective, godly parent, the traits of a successful parent in godly ways, okay? And then next week, I want to talk about the job description of a parent, and there we're going to really talk a lot about discipline, hugely important topic. But today, the traits of an effective parent. Now, again, if you're here today and, uh, and you don't have kids, you might be thinking, well, I can uh, catch up on a little bit of sleep now this morning. Uh, everything I'm going to talk about today, every single thing, we're going to talk about prayer, and we're going to talk about character. And both of those things apply to everyone here, even if you're not a parent. Okay, so you might just have to be a little creative. I'm applying these things in the family, and you might have to be a bit creative, but they all completely and totally apply to everyone here today, all right? The other thing I want to do before I want to get into the traits of an effective uh, parent is I want to take 10 minutes at the beginning of this message, and I want to speak uh, specifically here, and again, this will apply to all of us, but I want to specifically speak to uh, people here today. You have grown children, and they're away from the Lord. And so you might be sitting here, and of course now we're doing this three-week series on raising godly offspring, and you might be feeling embarrassed, ashamed, and guilty because some of your kids aren't following the Lord uh, right now. And, and what I want to just say to you again is, and I said this at the beginning of last week, but then I want to also give you some hope, is that we do not want you walking around here, slinking around with your head down, feeling embarrassed here at Southland because you have some kids away from the Lord. First of all, it's not over yet. They're still alive. You're still alive. You still can parent them to God. Yes? Okay? So it's not, this is not a guilt trip. This is none of that. At, you know, at a certain point, they, they're adults. They have to make their own decisions. And you can't carry that full burden of that, taking that guilt on yourself, okay? Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they didn't have bad parents. God was the only father they knew. And they still managed to get themselves kicked out, okay? And so yeah, I don't want you feeling tons of guilt, all right? But in addition to that now, I want to talk about prayer for 10 minutes because I want to, two things I want to give to you today for hope. And again, if you're here today and you're not a parent, you might have some other crisis in your life. It's not a, it's not a grown child away from the Lord. Well, these, this next 10 minutes is hugely for you too. But I want to give some hope to those of you who are parents here today and you have grown children away from the Lord and they've been away from the Lord for years. I got two things of hope for you. First of all, your first piece of hope is you can pray. You can pray. I want to show you three passages of Scripture now. These are three of my favorite passages of Scripture. I've preached on them many times here at Southland. And I'm going to bring them up again. I'm going to keep doing it because they're in God's Word, okay? But I want to show you three passages of Scripture. I want to show you the power of prayer. You can pray. As long as you're alive, you can have a massive impact. You know, in the hands of a godly, spirit-filled parent, there is little in this universe that is as powerful as prayer. There are few human beings that can withstand the godly onslaught of a mother, I think it was particular mothers, on her knees, begging God, begging God, begging God persistently, very few people are able to withstand that for an entire lifetime. Eventually, they just cave, okay? So let me read you three passages of Scripture. This is going to build your faith. But you can pray for your lost kids. You should pray for your lost kids. James, James, what is this? Excuse me. <laughs> How many of you noticed that? Nobody's listened to anything I've said so far. I've got to start. Oh, nice. Yesterday, you should have seen yesterday I was in bad trouble. Boy, this is not on the map. I'm going to go over time. But anyway, uh, yesterday, I buttoned the whole thing wrong, okay? And then I come in here to do my mic check. Nobody tells me. I have a bunch of conversations with people. I'm sure none of you are here today. Dishonest, unloving people. 
who talked to me face to face, did not tell me. My caller was way over here. <laughs> talked to a whole bunch of people. I was just about to come up here. I thought, I better just go to the bathroom because something feels a little uncomfortable. I talked to half a dozen people already. I went into the bathroom, and this thing is all shife. <laughs> I'd buttoned it completely wrong. Anyway, where was I? Thank you. I don't know if you should be clapping for that, but anyway, James 5, 17 to 18, all right? Uh, James 5, 17, 18, one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, says this, Elijah was a man just like us. And the Holy Spirit had James put that line in there, specifically put that line in there, because he doesn't want us thinking. The rest of this passage now, we're going to see that Elijah prayed and his prayers did amazing things. But a lot of people, they read the Bible and they see Bible people praying uh, huge prayers and those prayers getting answered. And we just think, well, they were spiritual supermen. They were spiritual super beings, and they just had extra spirituality around them, and they could get prayers answered. And the Holy Spirit specifically spoke to James and said, I want you to make sure that everybody's going to get this. Elijah was a man just like us, regular human being. Now look what happened with Elijah. He prayed earnestly. He didn't pray casually. He didn't throw up a prayer. Uh, Billy's been away from the Lord for 10 years, and I really do hope he turns around and then off to work. Okay, not that it's bad to throw up little prayers as well on, on your way to work, but there, the extent of his praying was more than that. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Elijah was a man just like us, one man, one regular human being. And when he prayed earnestly, he stopped a whole weather pattern over a nation for three and a half years and it didn't rain. Then he prayed again and it rained. That is the power our God has and the power you can harness when you pray to that God. Amen. He was a man just like us. But I want you to notice again that he prayed earnestly. Well, what does earnest prayer look like? Well, Jesus gives us a parable in Luke chapter 18. And I love this parable. And he, this is Jesus speaking, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now you might be here today, again, it might be grown children. You might have grown children or, or who are away from the Lord and you've been losing heart because it's been so many years. Or you might be here today and you just have some other major crisis in your life. Jesus is telling this parable for you. Here's a parable to the effect that you ought always to pray and not give up. Not give up hope. And so here's the parable. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, She's driving him insane, right? I will give her justice so that, and this is my favorite line in this passage, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Okay? Amen, somebody says. And now look, at the Lord applies it to us. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. Okay? I mean, if the unrighteous judge will give in like that. Okay? Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? I want you to notice the promise that comes next. Here's a promise. I tell you, what does he say? He will. I tell you, he will. You can take this one to the bank. You can plaster it on your fridge. You can put it in your Bible. Do you think God wants your kids to be saved? You better believe it. He wants it more than you do. 
He wants it. You want it. The only thing lacking is you pounding on the gates of heaven until it happens. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? I want to show you one more passage here. You know, if you're a parent here today, again, I said, if you have grown children away from the Lord, I don't want you walking around here with your head, uh, you know, hanging and you're feeling ashamed and guilty, all that sort of stuff. No. But if you're here today and you have grown children away from the Lord and you're not praying for them, that would be something to be ashamed of. That would be so sad. That would be incredibly sad. Heaven and hell are in the balance. Oh, but I don't have much time to really engage in prayer like that. Heaven and hell are in the balance and you don't have time? I know sometimes the reason we have a hard time engaging in prayer like this is because our hearts are raw. It's actually painful for us. But keep the heart raw and keep going to God. Matthew 7, 7 to 11. Again, another famous passage, but just dwell on these passages and let them fuel your prayer. That's why they're there. Jesus says this, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Remember, this is Jesus saying this, not me. He is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, he is the yes and amen to all of God's promises. He's not going to be wrong. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. Now look at this. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. And now he says this. You parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? I mean, of course not. And you parents here today with grown kids away from the Lord, if you, is that a good gift to ask God that they be saved? It's a good gift. Is he going to give you a bad one in answer? He's going to give you a good gift. If your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? So I want to give you a challenge here today. If you're a parent here today and you've got grown kids away from the Lord, I want to give you a three-part challenge. And if you don't have grown kids away from the Lord, but you just have some other major crisis in your life, this challenge is for you too. But I've got a three-part challenge here for you today. First part of the challenge is start a prayer journal for your children. Start a prayer journal. It's very cheap. You go to the dollar store, you go to Walmart, wherever it is, you get yourself a little, you know, coiled thing with paper and a notebook. <laughs> Sorry, running out of words here. But you get yourself, you write on the top there, Billy or Susie or whatever their name is, and you start a prayer journal for them. Because it's not just, I mean, when you're praying for the kid's salvation, you're partnering with God in this. It might take a while. I mean, look, that's what he's talking about in these prayer requests. You, you might take some keeping awning. So you, you put their name on there, and then you start. There's all kinds of prayer requests you can be praying that are leading up to the salvation. You might be praying, and, and you're, just, you're coming to God, and he's speaking to you, and you're partnering with him, with him and you're persisting. And, and you, then one of your prayer requests you might put on there, and you date him, and you say, Lord, I, I pray that Johnny will, that, I mean, he's estranged from the family right now. He doesn't want to even talk to us. I pray that he'll be open to a phone call, or I pray that he'll be open to coming over at Easter or whatever it is. That's, a, that's part of it. You journal that. Or you journal, Lord, I pray that, Susie, that we can have, you know, a, a, a real heart-to-heart, not just surface, but I pray we can have heart-to-heart conversations. But there, there's hundreds of prayer requests in there, and you start, to pray, you start to partner with God and see those things be answered. It's going to build your faith like crazy. And you're going to see God begin to move in your kids' lives, and it's going to empower your prayers, and your prayers are going to become powerful. Second thing I challenge you to do is make yourself a schedule for praying and fasting for your kids, Okay? Now, if you have kids away from the Lord, you don't want to 
only pray for them and never do other things, walking with God. I mean, you, you still have to, you're, then you're going to, life is going to get very dark. You still have to have times of worship and thanking God and praising him and being in his word for yourself. That's very important. If you don't have that, your, your, your prayer life is going to become very imbalanced. It's not going to last. But then after, out of that devotion time you're having with the Lord, you're loving the Lord, you're walking with the Lord, you're listening to God, now you have, you set aside times when you're going to pray and fast for your kids. Again, heaven and hell is in the balance here. So you set aside, maybe you say, I'm going to fast three days a month, or I'm going to fast one day a week, and you set aside a day, or you set aside certain days during the month. Or I even heard of a man on the West Coast once, a number of years ago, I read about a man, and his family was away from the Lord, and so he gave up lunches when he was at work, Monday through Friday, he stopped eating lunch, he would take his lunch uh, hour, and he would spend time praying for his kids and his family, he did that for a few years, and at the end of it, they all got saved. So you make a schedule, you get intentional, so that this is not just something, I mean, we read these passages about coming to God day and night, and then we don't really do anything about it, we don't change. You actually have to change something in your life to put that kind of prayer effort into it. So you make a schedule, you get intentional about it. And the third thing I want to recommend to you is this, buy and read. (laughs) I mean, just buying it won't do anything for you. But buy, read the book, uh, Crafted Prayer by Graham Cook, okay? And let me tell you a couple things about this book. First of all, it's uh, very cheap. Okay? For those of you here today who are Friesens and Penners and Dirksons and the rest. I mean, that's a selling feature. Okay? It's very cheap. It's only 95 pages long and they're small pages with big print. This is one of the smallest books you could ever read. Okay? It is a wonderful book. I have read many, many books and I've read lots of books on prayer. I love reading books about prayer. This is the best book on prayer I've ever read. I like it that much. It is a wonderful book. It is highly practical. It is especially focused on when you have a big prayer request, like a child away from the Lord. This is all about taking you through a process of journaling and walking with the Lord and partnering with him and getting his promises for them and praying along with his will and seeing spectacular things happen. Uh, just his whole view of prayer, everything in there, I highly, highly recommend it. Okay? So you can go out, you can order it in the bookstore. We have it in the library. I would recommend buy it for yourself. It's that kind of a book. Um, you can get it online, doesn't matter. Uh, but I would recommend you to get that book. It's going to help you in this process of praying for big prayer requests. It's really that good. I'm reading it. I've read it a few times. I'm reading it again. I've been reading it again this past week. Okay, I want to go on that. Okay, one more thing. Actually, before I go, let me just say one other thing here about this book. Um, common sense. I know 99% of you here today, you have common sense, okay? But there might be. I don't think, not in this service, not in the 9 o'clock on Sunday, but there might be in the other services, there might be one or two people in the service that don't have common sense, okay? So let me just say something to you, okay? I don't know Graham Cook, okay? I've never hung out with him. I don't know what he's like, okay? All I'm doing is I'm recommending this book. I, for all I know, you know, he's become a Mormon in the last couple of years, and I don't know it. And what I don't want to get this week is an email from someone who did, you know, in-depth research into Graham Cook and find out he's some kind of a loony. And then you say, look, you're recommending to people this crazy man, okay? I'm not recommending to you Graham Cook. I'm recommending to you this book. (laughs) I'm just saving myself some problems, okay? (laughs) Can we have a little common sense? There we go. All right. Number two, with your prayer, I want to give you hope on one other thing as well, Okay? I want to give you hope on one other thing as well. You have prayer. You have kids away from the Lord. You have, you're in a crisis right now. You have hope because there's prayer. You also have hope. There's one other thing I want to give you for hope, and that is you need to keep up your relationship with your kids. And this might seem obvious, but you know, I, I talked to uh, Pastor Tim Ryan this week, and he was telling me how um, 
Oftentimes, parents with grown kids, they sometimes get advice from people that people say, you've got to pull back in the relationship a little because you don't want to encourage your grown kids in their sinful lifestyle. And you know what? That's wrong advice. It's wrong. When Jesus was here on earth, who did he hang out with? Sinners. If your kids are away from the Lord and you draw back from the relationship, how do you get influence into their life? If you're not going to love them and show them Christ's love and show them Christ's character, who will? So if your kids are away from the Lord, you're going to pray for them. Now, here's the thing, and you're going to spend time with them. Okay, now, of course, you're not, of course, you're not going to condone bad things they're doing, but you can love them and be interested in the things they're interested in without condoning sin. You can. Now, I want to give you one other piece of advice here. When you're with your grown kids and they're away from the Lord, don't nag them about Jesus and about coming to church. Don't do it. Don't tell them, I've been praying and fasting for you to just break down your resistance to the Lord. That's a dumb, talking about common sense. I'm going to have a whole series about common sense one of these days. Okay? No, you don't do that. Okay? You pray for them behind closed doors. You pound on heaven's gates. You go to it. You come out. You clean yourself up. You go and you just talk to them like normal people. Okay? And you don't force those conversations. You know, I have two apple trees in my backyard. And they get, I get big, sweet, juicy apples. They're still little. I don't get very many yet, but I get, the ones I get are real good. But if you try to pick those apples in summer when it's too early, it's very hard to get the apples off the branch. You've got to yank hard, and you'll break the branches. The fruit won't be that good. But if you wait till the time is right, you wait later in fall into October, and those apples just, they just plop off, and they're perfect. And when you're praying for your lost kids, and you're building a relationship with them, you're not nagging them. You're not yanking on the fruit. You're praying, you're in the spirit, you're loving them, and you're waiting for those ripe moments to have a conversation, to say something, all right? Does that make sense? All right, I'm gonna, let's bow our heads, let's pray, and then we're going to get into the traits of an effective, godly parent. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we want to be, you've given us kids, and these kids are a gift, and you are not giving us kids because you wanted to have more human beings in hell. You are giving us kids because you want to populate the new heavens and the new earth for when you come down. And so, Father, we have got to be godly, effective parents in, in partnering with you in this process of populating heaven. And so I just pray, God, today that your Holy Spirit would move and that you would convict us as parents and that you would raise up in this church just a, a generation of great parents and great kids. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, the traits of a successful parent. And like I said, next week I want to talk about parents' job description. We're going to talk a lot about discipline next week. But today is the traits of, a, of an effective parent. And I want to start by reading you a profound passage of Scripture. It's one of the most profound uh, parenting passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. And most people don't think of it as a parenting passage. It's from John chapter 17. And technically it isn't, okay? But it, the, parallels, the parallels with parenting are, are awesome. And uh, it's John 17. I'm going to read you a passage from John 17. John chapter 17 is Jesus. uh, It's called his high priestly prayer. It's the prayer he prays for his disciples before he goes to die on the cross. Okay? And it it is a very deep, profound prayer. It's a wonderful prayer. And in the middle of that prayer, there's a... There's a chunk that I want to read to you now where Jesus is praying for his disciples and it is... It just exactly parallels parents with kids. It just parallels. And he's going to pray some profound things. I want to show it to you. And we're going to learn some things about parenting in this passage. John 17, starting in verse 12. While I was with them, this is Jesus speaking. So we're, we're just entering and right in the middle of him praying to the Father here. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, 
which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost. Look at that. Not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Now, I just want to stop there for a moment. Not one of them has been lost. In the next chapter in John uh, 18, he repeats this phrase in just a little bit different way. He says, I have not lost one of those you have given me. Okay? Now, I'm not going to talk about Judas here. He says, except they're the son of destruction. Judas is a different case. I don't want to get in a whole conversation about him. The Old Testament prophets had prophesied that the Messiah would have to be betrayed and die. Okay? So it was predestined that someone in Jesus' group would betray him. And Jesus knew right from the beginning that Judas was going to betray him. So I'm not counting him. I'm not talking about him. It's a different situation. But of all the rest, because it had to happen. But the rest of the disciples, imagine this as a parent. At the end of Jesus' life, just, you know, just days, I mean, this is right the very day he's going to be arrested, just days before he's going to die, okay, he is able to say about his disciples, not one of them has been lost. I can't think of a phrase that a parent wants to say more the day before they die. I have not lost one of those you have given me, not one of them. See, has God given you your kids? Yeah, he gave them to you. And he gave them to you for you to raise them for him. What better thing could a parent say at the end of their life than I have not lost one of them you've given me. Not one of them has been lost. That's the goal. That's the goal. And here's the thing. God wants you to succeed in that goal. You're not working against God. Some people uh, have this, you know, there's this weird theology out there about God picking people to go to hell and stuff. We've talked about that here before. People have this weird theology where, you know, God doesn't want all people to go to heaven. Fact of the matter is, he gave you those kids. He didn't give them to you to, to put them in hell. So he's on your side. He wants you to be able to say you haven't lost one of them, and you want to be able to say it. The gap in the middle is the gap where are you going to pray and are you going to obey him? That's the gap in the middle. I have not, not one of them has been lost. Wow. It's a goal for all of us here. Well, let's continue reading. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. And I just have stopped there. I mean, again, every line in this prayer is, is, has just profoundness, just pouring out of it. I do not ask that you take them out of the world. Jesus does not pray for his disciples to have a pain-free life. I see a lot of parents today, their whole goal is to keep their kids from pain. They don't even discipline their kids. Lots of people today think giving your kids pain is abuse. To spank a kid is abuse because you're giving them pain on their bottom. To make a child cry, to say no, to do whatever, to discipline, to give pain, that's abuse. And we parent our kids and we pray for our kids and it's all about pain avoidance. We don't want them to fail. We don't want them to ever be embarrassed. We don't want them ever to make a mistake. We don't want them ever to have to cry. We don't want to say no to them. We just don't want them to hurt. And I want you to notice that Jesus does not do that for his disciples. He says, I do, he specifically says it in his prayer, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. In fact, his disciples, after he would leave, would go on to, to lead very pain-filled lives. All of them were martyred except one. Many of them in horrible ways. They were persecuted and beaten and driven out all over the place. All of their lives they had pain, but they had Jesus. So he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The idea there is that you keep them through the pain. See, what happens is a lot of people, when they run into pain, when they run into suffering, then they, they follow the devil's lies and they become bitter 
They become angry. They become worldly. They give up on God. They become unbelieving. And then in the pain, they turn away from God. Jesus does not pray for his disciples. Keep them away from the pain. He says, in the pain, keep them from the evil one. Keep them following you, Father. Keep them following you in the pain. I don't ask that you take them out of the world. That is some hardcore good parenting truth there. Next verse. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. This, again, this chapter is a gift to us as parents. I first ran across this verse in my devotions a couple of years ago, and it just powerfully impacted me. And ever since, I've been praying a lot of these prayers for my kids regularly. But sanctify them in, in your truth. A lot of people, parents are wondering, what should I be praying for my kids? But here's what Jesus prayed for his disciples. Sanctify them in the truth. I pray for my kids often. Lord, I pray that you would sanctify them in the truth about how much you love them. I pray that you would show them the truth about how good you are. I pray that you would show them the truth about how wicked and deceitful their hearts are and that they would know the truth about how much they need you. I pray that you would show them the truth about how deceptive sin is, how wicked it is, how unfulfilling. You can pray this. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Pray that for your kids. And then the next verse, and now we come to the crux, the point I was getting to this whole time in verse 19, we're going to get to it. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world, and now here it comes. One of the most profound points about prayer and about parenting you'll find anywhere in Scripture, and here it is. Here's what Jesus says. And now at the end of all these wonderful prayers, he's prayed for his disciples. He says this, and now for their sake, I consecrate myself. Praise all these amazing prayers for his disciples. But the crux of it is, they're not going to get answered unless this happens. And for their sake, for their sake, I consecrate myself. So that they also may be sanctified in the truth. In order for Jesus' prayers for his disciples to be answered, he must be fully consecrated to God. And you know, a lot of parents today, they think of praying for their kids. And it's not bad, by the way. I mean, there's all kinds of books out there. You know, pray these 10 things for your kids and pray these 20 things for your kids. And that's good. Any book that's going to encourage you to pray, that's wonderful. But we have this idea, like, you know, if I can just say this formula, I just live my life however I want. And then I just say these certain prayers on certain days of the month. And then some of my kids magically turn out godly. No. How can you pray for your kids? Father, I pray that my kids would love God if you're not willing to consecrate yourself and love God. How does that prayer get answered? How do you, how do you get this prayer answered? Lord, I pray that my kids would grow up to put your kingdom first if you're not willing to consecrate yourself and put his kingdom first. How does that prayer get answered? If you're a father here today and you're praying for your sons, Lord, I pray that my sons would be kept pure and kept free from sexual immorality and impurity. How do you get that prayer answered if you're dabbling in sexual impurity? You can't pray things for your kids that you're not willing to do yourself. Amen? You can't have, see, your character, your kids are watching you. You can't have your character and your prayers going in opposite directions. They cancel each other out. You want to have powerful prayers? You model the things you're praying for them. You model the things you're praying for them. And so for their sake, I consecrate myself. Step number one in being an effective godly parent is you become the person you want your kids to be. Now, you're never going to be perfect. It's not that you have to try and be perfect and, that's, and it's only when you're perfect that you're going to start praying for your kids and parenting them. Not, not at all. But it's only as you consecrate yourself to God and you start taking steps towards God. It's only as you go for that. You want your kids to be humble? You've got to become, become humble. That's the first step. 
You want your kids to be truth tellers? You've got to be a truth teller. You want your kids to be loving and compassionate? You've got to be loving and compassionate. I consecrate myself so that my prayers for my kids can be answered. First step to raising godly kids is consecrate yourself. Now, there's lots of things we could talk about in here about consecrating yourself to God. Okay? But I just want to talk, and again, like I said, like there's just so many, but I just want to talk about two. The Greek word there for consecrate, that is translated consecrate there in this verse, is the Greek word hagiazo. And two of the primary English words that are used to describe hagiazo are purify and separate. And so there's other things we could talk about, about consecration, but I want to talk about purify and separate. I'm going to only spend a few minutes on purifying, and the rest of this message will be on separate. Purify and separate. First step in raising godly kids is Godly parents raise godly kids. You work on yourself. And again, what I'm telling you right now, there are reams out there. I can't, there, there are so many books out there and new books being written every month about parenting. New books all the time. There are so many books about parenting. It's over, almost overwhelming. And by the way, it's not bad to, to read books on parenting. I love learning. Next week, I'm going to recommend to you one of the best books on parenting I've ever read. It's really excellent. Very biblical godly, okay? But we've got, Hundreds of parenting books, Christians and non-Christian, and magazines about parenting, and they're filled with gimmicks and tricks and techniques. But you cannot raise godly kids by techniques. You have to be godly because they're going to follow you. doesn't matter how you try to manipulate them. They're looking to you. So step number one, I consecrate myself. Purify. What does it mean to consecrate? Purify means you deal with the sin and the woundedness in your life. You deal with the sin and the woundedness in your life. And you say, well, how does sin in my life that my kids don't know about, it's hidden or it's in my past, how does that affect them? Okay? They don't have to know about it for, them, for it to affect them. You're bringing it into the home every day. You're bringing it into the spiritual atmosphere of your home every day. I could tell you stories from encounters we've had, different people, families who have, or parents who have gone in encounters, they've confessed things from their past or hidden sins of their present. They've confessed those things at the encounter. Their kids never knew about them. They went home, didn't even tell their kids about them right away, and they noticed changes in their kids within days and weeks. Your sin affects your kids. Your sin affects your prayers. Your sin affects your relationship with God. And Jesus did not just pray a bunch of prayers for his disciples and say, okay, Father, now you go and do it. He said, and now I consecrate myself for their sake. So you want to get your prayers answered for your kids? You want to lead your kids into godliness? It starts by you getting rid of the hidden sin in your life. You purify that. You get rid of it. You confess it to people you deal with. it. I'm not saying you tell your kids all the gory details. But you bring it out in the open and you deal with it. Now, of course, a bunch of you in here today, you're thinking, well, you know, when Chris talks about hidden sin, he's talking about sexual sin. Okay? Well, certainly that's, that's, a, that's a big one that's often a hidden sin. But let me tell you another lethal poison that's a hidden sin, and that is bitterness and unforgiveness. Bitterness and unforgiveness in you as a parent are a lethal poison that will kill your kids' spirits. I'm not even saying bitterness and unforgiveness against your kids. I'm saying you're a bitter and unforgiving person and you have people in your life that you have not forgiven, it will kill your kids. I see many Christian kids, they'll grow up in church all their life. They'll go to church every single week. Very nice parents. They make good money. They work hard. They look good on the outside. They go to church. They say all the right things. And when their kids are 18, they leave. And a big part of the problem is bitterness and unforgiveness in the home. 
So you bring that out and you deal with it because before they can be worked on, you've got to consecrate yourself. That means forgiving. Jesus said in the Gospels, if you will not forgive men when they sin against you, my Father will not forgive you. That means forgiveness is a heaven and hell issue. You want to raise your kids to be godly? You've got to forgive. You've got to forgive. That's the first step in being godly. I'm not giving you techniques here. I'm giving you traits. You do this stuff. See, you know what? I find with all this advice, it just gets overwhelming. Like there's 600 different things you can do and 7,000 different ways to discipline, none of them in the Bible, all brand new. 6,000 ways to communicate and hear and what you should cook for meals and all this sort of blah, 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 blah. And it's just overwhelming when what you really need to do is you can mess up on some of this stuff, but if you're a godly, loving, humble person, your kids are going to end up following God. Very important. Separate. So purify. You deal with the sin and woundedness in your life. Separate is speaking there of a life of character. A life of character. And the first part is talking about explicit sins. Now I want to talk about character and integrity. In the Old Testament, when something was separate to the Lord, when it was holy to the Lord, it meant that that utensil or whatever, usually it was talking about a utensil or something for the temple, it meant that that thing, that utensil was separated from common use. You wouldn't use it for common things. You would only use it for temple worship things. Now, of course, when a person is separated unto the Lord, that's not what it means. God does not want Christians separating from everything in the world, right? He doesn't want us going to our own grocery stores and never talking to unsaved people and never going to a hockey game and all that sort of stuff. That's not how we separate from the world. If we did that, nobody else would ever get saved, okay? Okay, so Paul, we very clearly, that's not how we separate. So how do we as people separate? And what it is is character. It's we do things in a separate way. When we go to a hockey game, when we go to work, when we go to the grocery store, we do the things we do in a godly way. We are separated unto the Lord. We don't, we don't do these things in a common way. We do them with integrity, with grace, with love, with purity. It's a life of character. This is huge, okay? What I'm telling you right now is more important. Again, I'm going to keep hammering on the parenting techniques thing. It's more important than anything you've read in the books. Your character will have a bigger impact on how your kids turn out than anything you say to them with your mouth. It's not even a question. Not even a question. Your character will have a bigger impact on your kids and whether they turn out for God or not than what you say to them with your mouth. And do you, I mean, we have to talk to them with our mouths too. We've got to tell them about Jesus, all sorts of stuff. I'm not saying that's not important. We've got to do it. But your character is going to have a bigger impact on them than that. Your character will have a bigger impact on your kids than what you pray for your kids. And this is why I'm, I said before, in order to get your prayers answered, you've got to get your character in line with your prayers. Otherwise, they're pulling against each other. And your character will have a bigger impact on your kids than any of the spiritual activities you do with them. Your character, is prob- your character as a parent is probably the single biggest influencing factor in your kid's life. And that's good news and bad news. The good news is your character, how you behave, your attitude, how you talk will have a bigger impact on your kids than the culture all around us. That's good news. A lot of people think, oh no, the culture's so evil, my kids are going to turn out evil. No, you know what? That's not how God made the family. That's not how God made your kids. Your, your character has a bigger impact on them than the culture. That's good news. Because they're watching you. Okay? The bad news is your character will have a huge impact on your kids. (laughs) Nervous laughter from some of you. It's good news and bad news. Your character's going to have a huge impact. Let me tell you a story. I had a person come into my office some time ago, 
And they sat down. They were telling me the story of how they were coming back to God after many years away from God. And amazing testimony. Oh, God was working in their life as they were coming back to this church. And, and I was sitting in my office and, and just being built up, just loving it. Just a story of redemption. And as this person was telling me the story of their testimony, they, they touched a little bit on their childhood. And I was, it was fascinating. I was shocked in a way. Because, I mean, you would think, okay, this person's been away from the Lord for many years. You would think, well, they probably didn't come from a godly home. It turns out this person came from a family that was really godly, at least looking. This person came from a family where they had family devotions every single day. How many of you here today as parents have family devotions every single day? Okay? That makes me feel really inadequate, okay? Because I'm, I'm hitting on about one or two a week. Every single day. In fact, they often have family devotions twice a day. At breakfast and supper, they would read the Bible, they would pray, they would listen to Bible teaching. And you would think, wow! In a family like that, Bible together, prayer together, listen to Bible teaching together, everyone in this family is going to turn out great. They're going to turn out and love Jesus. There's only one problem. Parents didn't have the fruit of the Spirit. They didn't have love, they didn't have joy, they didn't have peace. So those kids had a religious spirit. They had Bible rammed down their throat day after day after day, spiritual activity. Did they turn out to love Jesus? No way. Needed lots of healing later on. Your character will have a huge impact on your kids. Massive. Far more than the spiritual activity stuff. It's important, the spiritual activity. I'm going to touch on that at the end. It's important to do listening, prayer, and devotions and stuff with your kids. It is important. But character, who you are as a person, is more important. So I want to give you seven vital character traits. I want to just make this super practical for you here today. I made a list, made a chart, and it's essentially the fruits of the Spirit just put into language that more, you know, hits where we're at every day. Practical. But I want to show you seven traits. If you exhibit these traits as a parent, you can make all kinds of mistakes in the techniques, and your kids will love you, and they'll love your God. And if you don't exhibit these character traits, you can ram spiritual things down your kid's throat all the time and you would drive them away from God. So here's seven vital character traits for parents. First one is respects others. And I'm speaking specifically here in the family. Are you a person, does your family, your kids and your spouse, do they feel like they can talk to you and their opinion matters? Do they feel like they have a say in what's going on in the family? Or are you a domineering and controlling person? You might just be a deep personality. It just comes naturally to you. And it's just my way. You just, oh, it's always you in charge. Just dictating orders all the time. Now, when your kids are little, they might be the best behaved out there because you're just, you're, you, got them under, you got them under your thumb. But the moment they're 18, if you've, if you've just got them under your thumb that whole time, they're going to be away from God as soon as they have a chance. Or do they feel you genuinely respect them? Like you listen to them, like you actually care. By the way, respecting them doesn't mean becoming a wimp. And we'll talk about discipline next week. Discipline, consistent discipline is excellent. But do you respect them? Second one is maybe one of the most important ones on this list. Joyful. This is maybe one of the most important ones on this list. Most people don't realize. Most people think of joyful as, well, that's a good one to have. It's an essential one to have. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 is love. And then after that, it gives all the traits that make up love. And the first one on that list is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love. And then we've got a list of traits. And the first one is joy. Did you know, and I preached a message about this uh, a few years ago, 
But they've, uh, psychologists, psychiatrists and stuff, they've, doctors, they've done all kinds of tests on the brain and stuff. Your children, especially in their younger years and teen years and stuff, they actually need joy. Did you know that? It's actually important for their psychological development. A child's spirit, a child's soul needs, craves joy. They need it like a vitamin. They need it like a nutrient. They just, they crave it. And if you, as parents, if you have a joyful atmosphere in your home, your kids will grow up with a strong constitution. They will have a strong psychological and emotional constitution. But if you raise your kids in an atmosphere where they're always walking on eggshells around mom or dad, you're passive aggressive, you're miserable, you're nagging, they're always cautious around you. And we see tons of kids like that here. And you're kid, you can bring them to church all you want. You can bring them to church all you want. And you raise them in an environment like that, and when they're older, they're needy and depressed, and they've got all kinds of problems. Now, of course, nagging, miserable, passive aggressive people, here's one of the things I've learned, is they always have a reason. You're never miserable for no reason. You don't ask someone, why are you miserable? I have no good reason. They always have a reason. Someone or something. Sometimes it's, well, I have a chemical imbalance and and all sorts of stuff. Okay, and I'm fine with that. You have a chemical imbalance? Take your pills. I'm serious. Your kids need joy. They, They don't care. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. So take your pills. Get help. Confess your miserableness as the sin it is because your kids, you raise them in that one on the right there and you will drive them from God. You'll just drive them. But you raise them in a joyful atmosphere and guess what? You're going to be able to make mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. You raise them in a joyful atmosphere. They will love you when they're older and they will love your God because that's what we want. Number three, self-control. Do you have your emotions under control or are you given to angry outbursts? Number four, Do you keep your promises and your commitments? This is a huge one, huge one for kids. There's two sides to keeping promises and commitments. There's the good side and there's the the negative side, but both sides are important. If you make promises on the the positive side, if you're always making promises about fun things you're going to do with your kids and good things and time together and all sort of stuff, and you break those promises, you are wounding your kids. It is very important. Kids, uh, promises, when you say something as a parent, that is huge to a kid. A parent who breaks promises to their kids, you know what those kids have problems with later in life? When they open up the Bible and they see promises from God, they can't work up faith. Because all they know is parents who said all kinds of things that it never happened. When you say something to your kid, follow through. There's another side of this too. Follow through on the negative side. I'm not just talking about rewards and vacations and stuff like that. When you tell your kid you're going to do something to them, if they do something bad, you better do it to them or they're not going to respect you. My wife, LaDonna, and I often, uh, if we're ever in the city and sometimes, you know, you've got to go shopping or whatever, you're at St. Vitale, we'll often go to the, those of you who are today who have your parents and you have little kids, you know, St. Vitale is that little uh, play area. And it's one of the most encouraging places to be because you see such bad parenting, it makes you feel good. <laughs> it's very therapeutic. So we go there every now and then, and you go, oh, yeah, we're, we're doing excellent. And uh, you sit there and... Most common one. Every time you go there, I tell you, you go to St. Mattel and you watch this now. You, you don't even have kids. They might throw you out. Yeah, but uh, you just go there and you watch and you're going to see this for sure. This one you will for sure see. Okay? You've got mom A over here and she's got one or two kids playing on the thing. And then she'll say, at one point she'll say, okay, it's time to go now. I want you guys to come over here. Okay? Nothing happens. 
Absolutely nothing. You would think she had not said a single word, okay? And, uh, and then she'll wait a, a minute. You can just see the steam starting to rise. Kids, it's time to go. Let's go. Come on, guys. Let's go. Nothing. Steam. Ooh, it's heating up now. And now suddenly we start to get the threats. This is the last time I'm going to talk to you. Come here right now. We're going to leave them all. And you're not going to get to see the movie and blah, blah, blah. We're not going to go to McDonald's. They're still not listening. So she just said, this is the last time I'm going to tell you, and then I'm going to do these things. 30 seconds later, she's yelling again. This is the last time. It's already the second last time, right? <laughs> this is the last time. For five or ten minutes, this is the last time. And you know what they'll do right after that? They'll threaten everything in the book. We're not going to get Timmy's. We're not going to get uh, French fries, all sort of stuff. And finally, the mom will just huff, grab them, and go and do the exact same things she didn't, said she wasn't going to do. You know, you don't follow through like that. You might think you're being a, a, a you know, a, a per, you might think being a permissive parent is being a loving parent. You know what? Your kids will not respect you. And if they don't respect you, they won't respect your God. Keep your commitments. Say things once, follow through. We'll talk about that more next week in the discipline one. Honest, are you a person who is honest? Are you a person who hides things and lies and steals? Cares genuinely about other people's lives what they're doing and thinking. I mean, this one just sounds, it's so cliche, cares. Are you a person who cares? Your kids know how, if you care or not. Your spouse knows if you care or not. And a lot, I sometimes hear people say, well, I care, I put food on the table. Your kids don't receive that as love. They just assume that. Isn't that true? Well, of course, dad brings food on the table, okay? They, that doesn't make them feel love. You want to know what makes them feel love? You get down on their level and you care about the things going on in their lives. If you don't care about the things going on in their lives, if you're a self-centered person, when they're 18, they won't care about you. And you won't have any influence with them with your God. They'll think, well, dad, you know, worships Jesus and all sorts of stuff, but who cares about that? You know what it means to really care about something? It means that if something's important to your three-year-old, it becomes important to you. You think, well, what's important about, like Charlie yesterday was showing me this four-by he has, it clicks the lights on and off. You think, I'm too busy to pay attention to that right now. No, you're not. That little 4 by 4 plastic toy doesn't have to be important to you, but Charlie's important to me. And because Charlie's important to me, the stuff that's important to him has to be important to me as well. And when I get into his world like that, when he feels love from daddy like that, then he also is going to love daddy's God. Very, very important. Or are you just a self-centered, busy person? Last one. Are you humble? Are you a person who apologizes and admits mistakes? Or are you a proud person who is never wrong? I think this last one is maybe the most important of all of them because as you look at that list, or some of you might be looking at that list right now and you're going, I have permanently messed up my kids. <laughs> None of us is perfect. We're all going to have bad days. Every single one of us here, me too. We all have bad days. We all mess up. And so we're never going to keep this perfectly. But guess what? You don't have to keep it perfectly. If you've got number seven there humble and you're willing to apologize and admit mistakes, your kids will forgive you. Your kids will forgive you. And you can move on and you can have a bad day and you can do, you know, do it wrong from time to time. If you can just admit it, look your kids in the eyes, look your spouse in the eyes, look your family in the eyes and say, I messed up. I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that again. But you know what proud people do? They just gloss over. Proud people, sometimes they even bribe. They might, they have an angry outburst. They take their kids out to DQ. They hope that makes it better. But they'll never just humble themselves and say, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Humility is huge. 
Proud people raise hard-hearted kids, but humble people raise soft-hearted kids. Let me say that again. That's more important than all the techniques in the world. Proud people raise hard-hearted kids. Humble people raise soft-hearted kids. And you know what the Bible says about proud and humble people? James 4, 6. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. If you are a proud person, you'll raise your kids to be proud people. And if you raise your kids to be proud people, it doesn't matter how much youth group stuff they go through, they're going to end up on the wrong side of God. So here's the character challenge. I'm going to give you a challenge. I've put this list. It's going to be online by Monday afternoon. It's going to be in the Weekly Shepherd. I want to give you a challenge for your cell groups and your, and your personal devos this week. And again, you don't have to be a parent to work on character. So this is for you even if you're not a parent. But certainly if you're a parent. I want to give you a five-part challenge for this week. Part one of the challenge is identify. Go over this list. Some of you maybe even wrote it down. That's, that's good. But online will be in the Weekly Shepherd. Um, but you, you, you go to this list and you just prayerfully at cell or whatever in your devotions and you circle whatever one or two or three areas wherever you have character weakness and you just you identify it and the second thing you do is you repent to God and you just say sorry when's the last time you just said sorry to God because you're domineering or you have angry outbursts or you've just you're just a miserable person when's the last time you just went to God and said I am just been so sinful please forgive me you identify the character weaknesses, then you repent to God. Third thing is, you make a simple plan for how you're going to go about working on improving this character trait. Did you know that you can actually make choices? And empowered by the Holy Spirit, you can make choices to change your behavior. Did you know that? I'll tell you how I know. One day, we're all going to stand before Jesus. Every one of us, this is what it says in Corinthians, every one of us, he's going to sit on the throne, and every one of us gets one-on-one time in front of the throne. Every single one of us. And we're going to have to give an answer for how we lived our lives. You know what that tells me? We're responsible for how we live. A lot of people get into a rut and they just think, well, I'm just trapped. I'm just a lazy person. I'm just trapped in this way of living. I can't change it. Yes, you can. If it wasn't in your power to change it with the help of the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't stand before God and be accountable for it. You can make choices this week to change your character and you're going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you and then you make choices and he's going to help you but you can change your character. So you make a simple plan. If you're, if you're having angry outbursts, maybe you have you know, four points, you're going, to, you're going to come in, you're going to talk to Pastor uh, Tim or Pastor Stephan, you're going to go to Four Winds or you can't, whatever, and you're, I'm going to go confess it, I'm going to get a book, I'm going to read a book on this, I'm going to, and then whatever, but you put a plan in place and you start to work on it. Fourth part is you get an accountability partner who's going to keep you accountable to improving in those areas of your character. And the fifth part is have a family meeting and repent to your family. You can do this if your kids are young. You can do this if your kids are grown up. But if you just have areas of just persistent weakness that you have had and that you haven't dealt with, you sit down with your family and this actually, some of you are going, no way. This is what humility looks like. You have a family meeting and you say, I haven't been consistent in discipline. And that's wrong. You guys don't even know. You don't know when, it, what, when, I, when I mean what I say and when I don't. And this is how, what I'm going to do to change it. You know what? The honesty and intimacy that comes out of that kind of humility, the discussions that get stirred, the heavens open up over your family and God begins to work. It's awesome. All right, last thing in this message now. So first part, you want to be an effective parent? It starts with leading yourself. I consecrate myself. I become a godly person. 
Now I'm jumping ahead a little bit into next week, the job description of a parent, but it just ties so well, well with what we're talking about here today, and that is this. You work on yourself, you consecrate yourself, and then the second step is now you focus on your kids. As you're working on your own character, now you start to see your parenting job in a different role because you start to realize that my primary job, remember Deuteronomy 6. Deuteronomy 6 tells parents to do two things. You will, teach your God, you will teach your kids to obey God's laws. That's righteousness. You will teach them about righteousness. You will teach them right and wrong. And discipline is a huge tool in that, which we'll talk about next week. And you will teach them to love the Lord to God with all heart, soul, mind, strength. Those are your two roles as a parent. Your number one job. That all just ties together its character. And so you go, yes, I consecrate myself. And now I look at my kids and my parenting through the goggles of I'm working with their character. My goal is not to raise straight-A students or Wayne Gretzky hockey players or hard-working businessmen. That's not my goal. Uh, that, they, that, those might be some of the things that turn out from this. But those are byproducts. Uh, my goal is to raise respectful, well, I'm, I'm just, that, there was that list there before, but respectful, joyful, humble, loving, godly kids. That's my job. That's my job. Now, of course, that sounds obvious to everyone here, but the truth of the matter is that most of us as parents value achievement and spiritual activity more than we do character. Most of us as parents, including Christian parents, we value achievement and spiritual activity more than we value character. You say, well, that's not me. Here's a test. I got a test for you today. Here's a test. How do you know if you value Character more than achievement and spiritual activity. Here's how, here's how I know. What do you compliment and reward the most? What do you compliment and what do you reward the most? The truth of the matter is that most parents, 99% of the time, they compliment, praise, and reward their kids for achievements, not for character. Character is more important than achievements. Let me show you how this works. Susie comes home, she's got straight A's. Woo! Straight A's, Susie. Up in, your, uh, up in your allowance, your weekly allowance. Here we go. And we're going to reward. We heap on praise. Now, is that bad? First of all, it's not bad to reward and praise achievement. It's not bad. I don't want people to feel ashamed that they can't compliment their kids for an achievement or for hitting a home run or scoring a goal. Not at all. But if that's all you compliment, are straight A's going to get them anywhere with God? Are straight A's going to get them into heaven? Are straight A's going to make them a godly person? No. So yes, you know, applaud the straight A's, sure. But if you only applaud A's, and you only reward A's, and you never do that for character, your kids get the message of what's important. And it doesn't matter what they hear the pastor saying on Sunday. When's the last time you had a sit-down? So sure, you reward your kids for A's. When's the last time you had a sit-down with your kids, and you sat them down, you looked them in the eye, and you said, We've noticed this last couple of months, you kids have been so submissive to authority here in the home, at school, so obedient, so respectful. We just wanted to let you know we've noticed. We're happy. God's happy. We want to take you guys out for supper tonight or whatever it is. When's the last time you praised and rewarded character? You know, your kid scores a hat trick at the hockey game. Well, that's great. You should cheer. I mean, obviously, we're going to cheer when our kid scores, hits a home run, does whatever like that. But if that's the only thing you reward, that's the only thing you praise, your kid learns that's what's important. When's the last time you intentionally focused on and rewarded and praised teamwork, 
hard work, and good sportsmanship. Because your goal as a parent is not to raise Wayne Gretzky, it's to raise godly kids. Character is more important than achievement. Secondly, character is more important than spiritual activity. There's another trap. Spiritual activity is even more subtle than achievement. And we get caught up in encouraging our kids in all these spiritual activities, but they don't touch the heart. Deuteronomy 6 does not say, teach your kids to memorize hundreds of Bible verses. Get your kids praying twice a day or whatever it is. Those are all wonderful things that might help with the heart. But the point of Deuteronomy 6 is teach your kids to love the Lord, their God, with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. Our goal is the heart. But a lot of parents get, there's a subtle trap that they get off the heart, they get on the activity. And then they get on to, you know, how many verses and how much stuff do they get in listening prayer and how much youth stuff do they do? Not are they humble. Not are they submissive. Uh, let me share a couple examples. For, let's talk about the, the sinner's prayer. You know, a lot of, and I'm not against them. I love a sinner's prayer. I mean, your kids ask Jesus into their heart. That's what a wonderful moment. What a mo- wonderful moment in their life. So you got two moms and they're in the parent room and one mom says to the other, it's like, oh, my four-year-old just asked Jesus into their heart yesterday. And it's almost like you can hear them going, phew, my job as a parent is over. <laughs> they're on their way to heaven. It's all over now. Little Jimmy asked Jesus into his heart in bed last night, and that's perfect. Meanwhile, the other mom inside, isn't this how it happens? Is panicking. Oh, my seven-year-old hasn't said the prayer yet. Isn't this how it happens? Some of you have experienced this. My seven-year-old hasn't said it yet. And they're panicking. This one feels real good. This one's real scared. All over a little prayer. Let me ask you something. Where in the Bible does it say you're supposed to get your kids to pray that prayer? Nowhere. Nowhere. Teach your kids to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, strength. Is it wonderful if they say a prayer? Sure, that's a great thing to do. But that isn't job accomplished, not even close. Anyone can pray that prayer. In fact, right now as we speak on this continent, America and Canada, we, this continent is littered with tens of thousands of adults who once prayed that little prayer when they were kids. And tens of thousands of them today are nowhere near God. Is that our job as parents? Our job is day after day after day. Sure, celebrate a little prayer, that's great. But day after day we work with the heart. It's not how they pray to prayer or not. It's where are they at right now? Humility, respect, submissiveness, obedience. Those are good kids. How about listening prayer? Let's talk about listening prayer. We believe in listening prayer here at this church. We've got to hear God's voice. Amen? We have got to hear God's voice. But sometimes it can get a little divorced from reality. You can have, again, a couple of dads at a cell meeting. And dad number one says, uh, you know, how's it going in your family? Well, oh, you should see my you know, five-year-old, uh, when we do listening prayer, whew, they get like a whole sheet full of stuff, right? And they're getting wild pictures, and it's amazing. And the, and the other dad's sitting there, and they're going, oh, my kid doesn't get anything. What am I doing wrong? And you got one's panicking, and one's exuberant, all because of how much stuff a kid gets in listening prayer. Let me ask you again. Where in the Bible does it say your job as a parent is to make sure your kids get lots of stuff in listening prayer? We've got to teach our kids to hear God, but the main way we teach our kids to hear God is we live a life of hearing God. And you can have a kid who gets scads of stuff in listening prayer, but if they don't listen well to adults, 
They're not respectful of authority. They can be disobedient and hard-headed. That kid has got a long way to go spiritually. That's the scary stuff. That's the scary stuff. Our job as parents is teach them to obey God's laws and to love him with all their heart. My three-year-old Charlie, okay? He's my second out of three. He's right in the middle. And uh, he gets stuff in listening prayer every single time. The only problem is it's the same thing every time. <laughs> Doesn't matter what we're praying about. Every time we listen to God in our family, we often listen together. Every time we listen to God, he always gets the same thing. Don't hit joy. That's his oldest sister. <laughs> okay? So, the other day we were praying, we had a family time together, and we're praying, and we often pray stuff like this. We'll have a family devotion time together, and we'll pray, Lord, show us someone we can reach out to as a family. Show us someone we can love and minister to. We'll often pray prayers like that. Those are great things to listen and pray about. And, uh, and then, so we stop for a moment, and then, so what'd you guys get? Charlie, what'd you get? Don't hit joy. <laughs> Good on you, bud. Joy's happy. I'm happy. God will be happy with that too, Okay. My daughter Joy, she's six, okay? She's six. We do listening prayer with her. Half the time, this is what she does. She gets nothing. She gets, what did you get, Joy? Nothing. Other times she gets stuff. I look over at LaDawn. That wasn't from God. <laughs> and every once in a while, she'll get a touch of something and you'll say, I think, I think the spirit was moving there. There was a nugget there, okay? But you want to know how much sleep I lose over my kids doing listening prayer like that, zippo. Absolutely zero. I'm modeling it to them. I'm living a godly life in front of them. I'm showing them that you've got to hear God and follow him and have a relationship with him. But my job is to raise them to be submissive, obedient, godly. And if I raise them to be soft-hearted like that, you know what John 10 says? My sheep hear my voice. It's not an if. It is not an if. If I raise them to be godly, if I raise them in godly character, he will speak to them and they will hear. Amen? Bow your heads with me. Close your eyes. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we want to raise godly kids. I pray for a revelation to come into our hearts, Father, that we will be able to discern between the important and the non-important. That we'll be able to discern, Lord, between the things that are just spiritual looking and the things that are actually spiritual. Father, the first step in becoming godly parents is becoming godly. And the second step, Father, is in raising our kids up to follow in our steps. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you will help us in Jesus' name. Amen.